People like games. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a conversation with. We haven't done this in a minute, and we have a very cool, very special guest that you might not recognize uh, if you're not on Twitter, or you might recognize if you're a big gaming fan. Rami Ishmael, he of formerly Vambleer Studios, now a international game developer ambassador. I think that should be mm, right. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. I'm trying to find a proper title for current because it's, it's not still head of Vambleer, so it's like it's hard. It's really hard. I don't. I don't even know what my title is right now. So I'm just listening to how other people introduce me, and I'm figuring out whatever I like. Went, that was that was pretty good. I like it. I like the it. international man of game development is here <laughs> to talk, to talk some gaming. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. And uh, I guess I'll ask uh, a question that I love to ask everybody to get things right in the flow because the beginning of these interviews are usually the weird part where you gotta like find a basis right. to talk about. Mm -hmm. What game are you playing right now? That like the first thing someone's like, yeah, what you been playing? You're like, yeah, listen, you got to try this. Right. I mean, I, I'm very boring when it comes to games. I play a lot of things, right? And I play a lot of things all the time. It's kind of like uh, in the Netherlands, they call it beroepsdeformatie, professional deformation. But, you know, my life has become playing a lot of games until I get it, right? Mm -hmm. Which is pretty fast. Most games you get pretty fast and then you finish them because you're curious about what happens next. But I just want to understand them most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I play a lot of games really quickly, but then the two big games that I keep playing over and over are Destiny 2, mm -hmm. which is, uh, Destiny is probably my favorite game of all time, probably the game I've played most in all time, and a Flight Simulator, because I really love aviation, I, I've been trying to get a real life uh, pilot's license, and uh, it's surprisingly good practice, so... Beyond that, let's see something random I'm playing right now. Uh, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Any good? Game Boy Advance game. Yeah, way, way back. And it's still good. I did not expect it to still be good, but it is still I good. I do have to ask, what does uh, understand me? So do you go in looking for, is it, uh, you know, so as a developer, is it something you're looking for mechanics? You're like, okay, let me see what inspired uh, this. Just get a lay of the land of what this every is about. Every game is a little different, but you know, uh, for some games, you you can kind of you get this, and especially since I work with a lot of developers, right? And especially since I work with a lot of developers, when games are still in progress, they're still being built, you mm -hmm. kind of get a feeling for what the goal of a game is, mm -hmm. like what they're trying to get at. And sometimes for some games, it's telling a story, right? It's like, okay, we want to tell the story. Papers, please is a mechanical game, but it's a very story narrative driven game. It's trying to make mm -hmm. a point about. Uh, corruption and how mm -hmm. good people end up doing bad things for good reasons, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or for fair reasons or for understandable reasons. So even though that game is fully mechanical, you can't understand Papers, Please until you realize what it's trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they have something like Call of Duty, which has a really big story, but the point is not the story. 100%. The point is the spectacle, right? But then but as so you... Then if, when I play a Call of Duty, you know, you hit a scene and I remember Infinite Warfare was one of those games that really, really nailed that. And you have one of the first missions and you start in Geneva on the ground and you get in the spaceship and it shoots off to space and now you're doing a dogfight and now you're landing on the on the spaceship and you get down there and like the captain is dead and you have to take the captain's position. And now it shows you like the map of all the missions you can do. And at that point, I'm good. Mm -hmm. That's mission two of the game, but I understand. Right? Okay. So unless there's something further, like say that storyline there, you're like, okay, this will be a spectacle first person shooter that will sort of environmentally set me up versus right. 
narratively. And, this, and the and Call of Duty Infinite Warfare is about the weight of command and the the um, the need of sacrifice, right, mm-hmm. for certain things. And that's what the game is about. It's about you could immediately. You have your main character. Your main character is angry at the captain because the captain almost sacrificed the entire crew of the ship to stop this enemy that suddenly like wrecked all this stuff to stop that enemy from fleeing. And your main character is like, are you kidding me? He almost like sacrificed the entire crew. And at that moment you go like, that's where the game is ending. Mm, It has to end there. It has to end there. It has to end with the captain, with your character understanding why the captain did that. Because why else would they make such a big deal out of it? Right. That's funny. Yeah. Um, That's I mean, it's sort of like a movie where there's certain movies that give you the pieces and you know maybe narratively the end point already. But the question is how interestingly enough can you get me to the end point that we're both already sort of anticipating? So so in that way, games work the same way, but it can be an art, it can be a mechanics, it can be a narrative, it can be in all these things. Some movies are about cinematography more than about stories. Some movies are about mm-hmm. music more than about uh, vision, right? Different Every movie has something. But a game can be 45, 50, 60 hours. So usually I play until I'm fairly confident that I got what the game is. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, done. This is good. I understand. I read up a bit about it. And if I read something and I'm like, oh, wow, didn't expect that, I go back. Mm-hmm. Then I play. Okay, I see what you're saying. But so, what what are the what game? So I, I mean, I guess as someone who's worked in it so professionally, your sort of mm-hmm. you know experience and sort of uh, playing even is different than a casual gamer. <laughs> where I don't understand maybe the mechanics that go into that Call of Duty or some of the things where someone shows you something interesting technically. Uh, mm-hmm. But is there any games that sort of come out that even you yourself maybe say in the past two three years have been like, how did they do that? Like, oh, how yeah. did you guys make this? Yeah, uh, I mean, Nier Automata blows my mind uh, to an incredible degree. Uh, the way it uses games, that game works better if you're more of a gamer, mm. which is wild. But but they're using your knowledge of games kind of against you to sort of like create tension and create like uh, uh, interest, right? Yeah, it's a very absolutely. slow burn game, but like I played the first time and people had told me, right? Like, no, just push through right yeah and then when i got to the first moment about a third of the game in um you know the first third was a good game i had a good time very you know uh very agreeable action adventure uh rpg elements you know mm-hmm. uh post-apocalyptic desaturated kind of cool, cool stuff yeah. beautiful music and then you hit that one point where everybody's like no you have to play until there and you just sit there and you're like yo what what is what no huh I, and you start I, to see that. Mm-hmm. The other one that really got me was a game called the 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which is a visual novel told from 13 semi-unreliable protagonists that weave through each other on like a, just a, the narrative, imagining sort of like the flow chart of how that narrative must have worked is already I, too big for my brain. See, this now we're going to start getting to some very interesting questions because you know you already answered what your favorite video game series of all time was, mm-hmm. but now this pushes more so into sort of what video games are as a medium. So, mm-hmm. firstly, you know, what is it about video games that make you prefer them to other mediums, whether it's a narrative right. sort of what is it? I think I think video games have some very unique properties that just make it for me, make it a, a fascinating medium. Like I love writing. 
uh, and I, I love movies, I love TV series, but there's something about games, about the slow burn of a lot of games, about the interactivity, about the ability to be the main character instead of experience the story of the main character from another perspective mm-hmm. that you just can't get anywhere else, right? You can't get the feeling of responsibility from a movie. You can yeah. understand that people have responsibility, but you can't feel responsible. Making right? the decision yourself. And messing it up or getting it right, right? You can't feel pride. You can't feel regret. Um, there, there's there's a lot of things that games uniquely can do. I think the other thing I like about games is that they're kind of like little mind puzzles, not yes. the other way around. Not your brain has to solve the puzzle. No, the game is puzzling with your brain. It's like trying to fit certain things in such a way that you feel a feeling. Yes. 100%. Or you, you, you get tense. I think about little discovery, which is like that wall will be slightly darker shade of the rest of mm-hmm. the wall and your brain catches that. And it's like, oh, hey, it's rewarding it, but by nature of putting... Right. Yeah. And then also, And then also like the language there, right? Because that's a language. We've learned to speak this language. My mom started playing video games a few years ago. She doesn't have that language. Mm-hmm. So... When she goes into a building and she sees a wall and it's like kind of broken and it has like the brick sort of exposed, every gamer will look at that and be like, I have explosive. Gotta go That's through there. My mom goes there and she looks at it and she's like, Oh, this looks unstable. I should stay away from it. That's because the building might come down. And you know what? She's right. She's mm-hmm. right. But we've learned this language for decades. A hundred percent. We speak it fluently. That's too funny you mention that because my my girlfriend and I were playing Pokemon and mm-hmm. it's the same sort of the lot the video the gamer's logic of yeah. where you're supposed to how you're supposed to navigate the map everything types and you forget how much built up knowledge occurs so now this is where an interesting part comes in because I agree with you in terms of the interactivity and the mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. to sort of engage in these uh, the the actual what's the word of uh, the requirements of a story emotionally more right. directly when you're being able to be the person or the character. Right. So in your time now, as games have developed, there was a great moment where those sort of pieces came together, technology, narratively, there right. wasn't sort of the internet trying to push in. And so you had mm-hmm. that sort of 2000s time period of beautiful, amazing made first player games. Right. Now we're sort of paused on that, right? So now we're sort right. of entering a new decade. You are from the most interesting version of gaming, which is you came through mobile game development. Um, And so you you were coming through a time where now the definition of a gamer was expanding from consoles, PC gamers, something new. So first I'll ask, what to you is the definition of a gamer? Well, gamer is hard. Um, Like, here's the thing. I... I think the honest answer is I don't care much, right? Like, because here's here's the thing. I think what's important is that when you go back, right, to the start, and this is going to get really philosophical, so bear on me for a second. But there. the games are play, right? And play mm-hmm. is a form of interaction, a form of existence, playfulness, right? Uh, if I grab a random thing, if I grab this USB stick and I just sort of like throw it up, I'm playing, right? The game. Because uh, there is a success state, there's a failure state, and I'm doing something in a safe context, mm-hmm. right? So play is this, this force. It's a very important force because if you go back in time long enough, eventually you get to, say, the first humans, right? Mm-hmm. 
everything we know now, everything we can do now, every language we speak, every skill that we have was developed through play. Because how do you how do you get language? You make sounds at each other. And then at some point it becomes playful. And then you suddenly understand that this word is bread. Right. Or whatever it was, tree, tiger, whatever, word whatever, is. whatever the word was, whatever sound it was. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you were somebody and you had a spear and you just decided to just see if you could hit that tree, that playfulness, right. Not to survive, not to get food, not to defend yourself, just to see if you could hit it. Mm -hmm. You would survive longer. Because you would have a better shot at hitting something because you've practiced just for fun. Not for any other reason, just because you want to. If you climb trees, you would survive longer because you would climb a tree faster, right? So right? It led to science. Because science is effectively, you're doing experiments. But you're not expecting necessarily that it's going to work. It started probably playful, right? Yeah. So we are, as, as a medium, we, we carry that torch. We are the digital implementation of play. Mm. The oldest torch in the history of mankind, presumably, right? So to me, everybody is a player. Everybody is a gamer. Everybody plays. It's just some of us lose it. Yes. Right. Wonders Some of that. us lose that. Some of us lose that want to play. Some of us get so stuck in the day-to-day -day life, get so stuck in work that we refuse to play. And it's sad, you know, when you see somebody and somebody kicks a ball at them, just a slow ball, seeing somebody think and walk, walk past it because they have to get to work and not have the time to just kick it back. Engage in the world. That hurts. Way. Because... I've traveled the world for a decade, right? Meeting developers everywhere. And no matter where I went, rich, poor, uh, Western, non-Western, uh, um, uh, places where life was safe, places where life is unsafe, you take a ball and you kick it at them or you throw it at them, everybody understands it. It doesn't matter what language you are, what age you are, what uh, culture you have, what faith you believe, what race you are, like none of it matters. You have a ball, you understand it's playful, right? It, that to me is what games are. So then asking what a gamer is, to me kind of defeats the purpose. Everybody is a gamer. Have we made the right game for them? Well, so you, you asked an interesting question because you, you've now been around the world, right? So as that mm -hmm. expansion of gamer, right? So initially, you know, arguably a, a gamer was a very specific Western us or or european white person with a specific number of socioeconomic wealth that was gaming right? right so all the gamer logic that we just talked about that wall even right that's foreign to the people who are in these new countries that are starting to enter into it right so some but of the it, social some... dynamic is still fresh to them right so we've do you see a different in the type of development then or the type of focus on what a gamer is and say when you go to africa or the middle east or the for west sure for sure. I mean, and how and it's interesting that you've seen because the language of games is, is uh, sort of co-developed between the Western world and Japan primarily. Right. It yeah. doesn't mean that all of it is from there. And people have been playing games across the world for for a, a very Never. long time. Right. When I was when I was an Egyptian kid, we had a police station, which is a bootleg PlayStation mm -hmm. that 
is actually a Super Nintendo that has 99 games on it, but only 10 of them are unique. And then all the ones are, are ROM hacks of those yeah. nine games. So I had like Super Mario Bros. And then game 14 was like Super Luigi Bros. And it just swapped the sprites of Luigi and <laughs> the Mario. Emulator right? packs. Exactly. That's stuff. Yeah, girl, just not a real cartridge. Exactly. That is the stuff. So they've been playing games. They have that language, but the context of play is different. So in Egypt, yeah. if you wanted to play games, you know, in the Netherlands, when I was six, we got our first computer. In Egypt, that would be rare to have a computer at home. So in Egypt, the context of computers was go to a net cafe. Yeah. Which means that the games you ended up playing were automatically more multiplayer games. We played Soldat, we played Quake, Unreal Tournament, those kind mm -hmm. of games, right? Games 100%. you play against each other. In the Netherlands, I played Transport Tycoon. I played uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. I played some Starcraft. Uh, but I, I was messing with the... But mostly games for me. And then mm -hmm. occasionally I would play online, right? I played Diablo, but I didn't play Diablo online until much, much later, right? Yeah. So in the Netherlands, play was me. And in Egypt, play was with my friends, right? Yeah. Play some FIFA, right? Yeah. Uh, kick Always. some soccer balls. Um, or pro Evo, depending on what side of that conversation yeah. you ended up on. Because that was a big fight around the world for a long time. But um, yeah, it was, this, this was the big conversation. Are you FIFA or are you pro Evo? And which Grand Theft Auto do you play? Those were the two, the two big questions was kind of like that. But because the context is different, uh, expectations of games are different as well, right? So if you look in uh, a lot of Asia and, and large parts of Africa, they kind of skipped the computer age, oh, right? Nice, they went yeah. straight into mobile where uh, mobile devices are your computers. Everything you do on a mobile phone, you pay via your mobile phone far before... I think we might have an internet issue here in a second. Got you frozen. I don't know. Yep. All right. Do you hear me now? I'm back. Uh, yeah, yes, I hear we're back. We're good. So, um, but in in Africa and yeah. in in other places, you people would pay via their mobile phone. They pay with their uh, with their phone plan, way before that was possible here in the Western world. So. When the context of the world changes, games change. Yes. And, and that's not just true across the world, right? Like, for example, one of my favorite things is the roguelikeification of PC games. Yeah. Hades was one and of the best games I've played in a long time. Phenomenal. And I love that it happened. But you know why it happened? Because it was inspired by... Was inspired by another roguelike, right? And then there was another roguelike that was inspired by another roguelike. And then there was another roguelike. And some of them were inspired by Nuclear Throne. I think Nuclear Throne has a line straight to Hades, right? Absolutely. Um, but the reason it happened is Twitch. Twitch became a big thing, right? Yeah. So if you want your game to be played on Twitch, name some things that would be good for that, right? Okay, so you want a game that people uh, that's easy to watch. Yes. Right. Uh, you want a game that you can play a lot. Yes. A long game because when you're done with the game, you stop playing it. Okay. Yeah. So it needs to be a long game. Or and you want a competitiveness. And you want a game where you can be smart about it. You can be good at it. Yeah. Right. Watch armor fits those three things. Multiplayer games. Multiplayer games that you play against each other and roguelikes. Interesting. What did the games industry do? We made multiplayer games, we made roguelikes. Why? Because they're the best thing to, to make right now. Because 
you will have free marketing forever. How come Sounds there's not more co-op roguelites though? I feel like that's like a huge missed opportunity. I mean, I think the honest answer, because it's harder to make and it doesn't give you much more of a benefit. But right. it is co-op that much more difficult to implement in a game like that? Like, co-op is, yeah, we tried nuclear throne co-op. And like the biggest thing with co-op is that you want to balance it for both situations, right? Mm -hmm. That's hard because if I just make a single player game, done. Balance it against yeah, the player. If I do two players, now I have to balance it for two players. But it also needs to be fun to recover. If one player dies, the other player needs to be other. So how do you save that player? How do you make enemies okay, yeah. that are more fun when you're can, they can be shot from both sides? In Nuclear Throne, we have an enemy that flies over you and then gets behind you. Mm. That's really good in single player. It's useless in co-op because you can just aim in two directions at once. So you can't, yeah, exactly. Okay, so there's an inherent logic it, loop there as well that trickles down. The, the problem with games is everything is more complicated than you think. Everything. Yeah. Every single thing is more complicated. I did a thread on Twitter the other day about dice. How do you make dice in a game? Yeah. You know how hard it is to make a dice in a game? Because you think, okay, you make a cube, you put some numbers on it, and then you roll it. Well, roll it is already a really big word, right? Because now we need collision, and it needs to roll well, and then, okay, done. Okay, so that that's that's days of work to get it right. But then how do you know which numbers somebody rolled? I need to program that. So I need to go and be like, okay, wait, so, okay, we're going to put in the code. This side is one, this side is five, this side is uh, three, this side is, four, two, you know, like do that. Mm -hmm. uh, they all have to add up to seven. That's how a dice works. They're easy. Okay, cool. Uh, and now I'm going to, when it stops rolling, okay, now I need to define what does stop rolling mean? Yeah. Okay, when the speed mean? hits zero, when the speed hits zero and it stops moving, then it turns out that with collision, nothing actually goes to zero. It just asymptotically gets slower. So, okay, when it's under 0 0.1 movement, per okay. Now, what if it's on a on a slope? What if it falls off the level? It will just keep falling forever, so it will never calculate which side is up because it never stops moving. What if somebody walks into the dice? Now, never. Okay, so I have to deal with all of that. Okay, and then when it's done, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a line from the top, and the first thing it hits, that's the number. Right. That's how we're going to do it. We're just going to see from the top. We're going to we're going to shoot a, a bullet down at the dice and whichever side it hits. Mm -hmm. That's the one. OK. Now, what if the dice ends up stuck diagonally? And two sides are both at the top. It's like exactly curved. Yeah. How does the code do that? Do the, because if you don't deal with that, that's undefined. that just crashes the game. Yeah, I was going to say it'll crash. So you're going to have to figure out how you deal with that. Right. So you might say, okay, if there's more than one answer, just wiggle the cube. Okay, we can do that. But then now suddenly the cube might keep wiggling because it, it wiggles, but it keeps wiggling in such a way that it remains there. So even just as simple as a dice, you get into these weird programmatical, philosophical like physics. situation. And that's just the physics part. Yeah. If you think about the morality and the, the fun of it, yeah. If you play, if you play with a real die, you know what could happen? You could roll one a hundred times in a row. Yeah. And you would look at the die and be like, this die is obviously broken. Right. So you might grab another die and you might still roll one. Yeah. Chances are infinitesimally small, but it's possible. If you play a video game where your critical hit is dependent on a die roll. Yeah. And you don't get a 90% crit three times in a row. What do you do? Get mad. You quit. Yeah. 
Screw that. Yeah, Why yeah, did, this, like, is, this is ridiculous. This Why is, did the developers ridiculous. tell me 90%. this is the case? Yeah. 90%. That should definitely happen 9 out of 10 times, right? Yeah. But that's just... That's not how percentages work, right? It doesn't... Nine, 90% doesn't mean 9 out of 10 times. It means every chance, you have 90% chance that will happen, which means you have 10% chance that it doesn't. So we code into our games ways to make die roll less unfair to you. If you roll three times, one, three times... We're just gonna give it to you. Can I ask Why? an anomaly stupid question? Can't no, you go just it. like can't you just like pre-create like templates that manage those sort of movements in a yep. in a sense and then sell those packs to be like if you need dice, this is how it works, is to give you the pre-formatted stuff over right. on uh, yeah. Yeah, you can do all sorts of things, but the, that's kind of the problem is depending on your game, you might want your dice to behave differently. Mm, right? Okay, that's see what you're saying. So if I want to die and I want it to behave a certain way, I want to I want to do one way, but I might want dice that mostly roll a four. Do you think the complexity of any of, of these development aspects has functionally affected the direction of actual game development? Did you see any sort of game mechanics in your time in the industry just die off because people are like, we don't want to do this as a whole? Absolutely. And I think the other part that is um, that is really true, it's also the response from the gamers, mm. right? From the players. Because... If you do a lot of work on somebody and nobody appreciates it, you're just not going to do it again. Yes. Right. 100%. If you do something that looks very simple, but it is very complicated and it's not appreciated, you're just not going to do it again. And that happens frequently, right? Like uh, systems where you look at it and you're like, well, wow, that's incredible. It's incredibly good work. Crafts work in terms of craft. It's incredible. Destiny is a great example of that, where they're continuously working on balance and balance sounds so easy. It's so hard. It's so hard. Not- balance is harder than anything. Balancing and the continuation of development now leads me to a similar question, right? So like we were saying, you know, before when you were making the die, right? You Mm -hmm. had this game comes out on this date and you got to get it ready to roll no matter what happens by that date. Now we've moved towards a looser structure. So like you say, game development responds to gamers. People show they want free to play with battle passes and they'll take a little bit of a hiccup in the development status of a game if they're still getting it for free, et cetera, right? Yeah. But do you think that's created a slightly more lazy product that does it really matter if that I, dice messes up if anyone's like, yo, it's free to play? I mean, I think I think it both it balances out. Like part of it is lazier, but part of it is way harder work. Because when I was done with my game, I was done with my game. So yeah. I never had to think about how the die might affect my future game. You don't gotta balance the die ever again. I'm done. Yeah. Go. Put the game out, I'm done. I walk away. Like you buy it, you buy it. You don't buy it, okay. Cool. Too bad. Um, now, if I make that die, I have to make sure that when I introduce a D20 in a future expansion, that that doesn't break my other die. There was no D20 when I made the die, but now there is a D20, right? What if I make an expansion on a ship? Now, the table is always moving. Now, my, suddenly my collision code doesn't work anymore. Remember the code that I used to say, okay, cool. let's check whether, whether let's shoot from the top when the die I starts moving? find a line. Now the entire ship is moving. So the dice never stops moving. So now the game crashes, right? Mm-hmm. So it's created a situation where there is much more work, and but also it's a little bit more forgiving. Yes. Right? It's because a bit more of the forgiving. complexity. So people understand that. Uh, and I think that this has been sort of reassuring that gamers are a little bit more accepting of smaller issues. Mm. right big issues they'll never accept that and uh, you know they're not wrong 
I don't always like agree. Something on like what... Cyberpunk 2077 is a bit different than unforgivable, something else. right? Unforgivable. Exactly. Like, it, it, uh, and it's when when money becomes too strong yeah. in decisions, right? Yeah, but 100%. Um, you know, I was watching yesterday. I was watching a video about the New Horizon Forbidden West and how Aloy is using the exact same animation in yeah. both the original and Forbidden West. And I'm like, obviously, why did why would you remake that? That was like the God of War thing that came out when people were talking With about the both animations the same. Of course, do you think that 70% of the code is the same? Like, let's yeah. be honest, like it's the, we're doing the same video game. The logic is gonna work the same way. We're gonna evolve it, but- But do you um, think that makes people a bit, see, that's a great one. So the 70% of that code should be the same, right? Arguably, cause you're yeah. just making a sequel. So you say, hey, right. you guys love the base game. We're just going to improve the 30% right. of the code. You didn't love and add some new stuff that doesn't right. break it. Right. But now people are like, well, this isn't as interestingly new as the first one because right. you guys built that first one from scratch. Right. Doesn't that create an inherent contradiction of, yo, we need to stick with sustained IP continually versus we need new things? The hardest, the hardest thing in gaming is that A, people don't know what they want. They say whether they know what they want, but what they want is a better version of the thing that they already have. They don't want new. Nobody wants new. My favorite, one of my favorite quotes of all time is by uh, Henry Ford. If I had asked the consumer what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Gaming works the exact same way. People don't know what they want. That's why we, as game designers, have a hard job. Because we have to come up with stuff that nobody knows they want yet, believe in it long enough that we can test that they actually want it, and then release it. Chicken right? and egg. Um, Everyone wants to see it proven on the market without proof that it exists. Right, but we have to yeah. start from the egg every single time. Right, we have to create an egg. We have to, you know, okay, so uh, yeah, it's sort of like a calcified outside, and it's kind of like a oval, but like in 3D, right? Exactly. So that, that's kind of what we're doing. But you know, that code for Horizon, that 70% overlap, most of that code is like light input. Why would you recreate how you press the X button? You press the X button, done. We keep that code. Why would we rewrite that, right? Like, there's no reason for it. Um, and then game logic, you can do in 30% of code, you can do a lot of stuff. Majority yeah. of your code is going to be related to like how the engine processes certain things. And you don't have to do, I don't think 70% code of reuse, but just as an example, right? Exactly. Um, Speculatively. But, but the, the basic version is that game design is such a fascinating field because you're always on that balance between what do people understand and what is interesting. Because there's this thing called a mental model that we use in games. Mm -hmm. And a mental model is the understanding players have of games. We were talking about this earlier, the language of games. If I give you a racing game on the, uh, what console do you play? Um, I, I play Xbox, let's say. Uh, Xbox. Or I PlayStation, Nintendo. Forza. No, no right? racing games on Nintendo. Forza. Yes. What is Accelerate? What button R do you press? R-Trigger. Trigger. Right, right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Automatic. Done. Automatic. You don't have to think about it. That's part of your mental model. You have this understanding of what a game is, even before you play it. A game has started before you play it because you have knowledge. If you watch yeah. that trailer, the game has started. Mm -hmm. If you watch the announcements, the game has started because now you're creating expectations, you're creating feelings, you're creating those based off your interactions with versions of those. With earlier versions, though, earlier games in the genre, earlier games in. If you see a 2D platform game, and uh, you get an ability and now you can reach somewhere new, you immediately think Metroidvania. Yeah. And you start to apply those expectations, right? Now that happens always in the player's brain. We can't get out of that. That is continuously happening, right? If we move away from that, 
that's a cost. It's mm. expensive. So if I make a racing game and I want to add shooting to my car, what is shooting most games? R trigger. Which one goes on R trigger? Race or shoot? I don't, uh, that's a, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a mapping of function buttons. You have to figure that out. There's no yeah. answer. Whatever it is though, there's going to be the group of people that is upset because you put our race on our trigger. It's going to be the group of people that are upset that you put shoot on our trigger. Because they I expected this, the other one. This is a great, this is a great segue. So then do you think by nature of having to make those decisions, right? You're talking about weighing the mm. decisions of, of comfort of people's knowledge mm. and trying to do these sort of more, you mean one call them radical. You just call them slightly right. different, innovative, right? Right. Innovative yeah. is a word. In your time, do you think now this obsession of, yo, we got to make, like, because it becomes such an economic industry, same way with movies, right? You got to do the IP in a certain way yep. and make certain comic book movies. So games, yep. let's move away from innovation and the small indie right. films and the crafts of creations right. that people love. Does that yep. cut off the top level innovation that we're just going to be getting stuff that is similar to what people are familiar with because we're just looking for money? And then now I mean innovation slows and people say where's the new games yeah i think i think what happens is there's sort of two movements in games you've got the indie scene the indie scene is beholden to economics right we still have to make money in that regard a lot of indies have to be even safer than triple a because this is their this is it this is their yeah. income they don't have exactly. other income uh you know large corporations large game studios have two or three games in the fire at any given time so if one of them fails okay that's sad it's going to be layoffs. There's going to be problems, but the continuing there will be continuation of the studio, and for most of the people working there, for an indie, if your game fails, you're done. But indies also don't have as much expectations weighing down yeah. on them, right? They have a lower financial risk because if you fail, it's just you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have that freedom, indies make a lot of very innovative work, right? A lot of innovation comes from that, but. We can't push certain innovation as much as AAA can. So the loop that I always like to describe, the best example I have is the um, original Bioshock, AAA game. Uh -huh. The original Bioshock was a game in which you walked around and you got to like interact with this world. And it was this fascinating world. It was this shooter in a fascinating world. And then a number of designers that worked on a DLC there wondered what if you just take that looking at things you can just grab things and you can look at them and explore the world that way. And they ended up making a game called Gone Home. And Gone Home ended up being an indie hit. And it was effectively the pitch for Gone Home internally for that team was, what if we made Bioshock without shooting? Interesting. So they made a Bioshock without shooting and they focused it on like grabbing these things and getting to understand this, this space, this house, right? Uh -huh. And the stories that happened in it. And then the people at Naughty Dog who made Uncharted played Gone Home. And they thought, oh, this mechanic of looking at stuff is so cool. We should put that in Uncharted. And that's where in Uncharted, that system where you can grab things that look at them came from. But Uncharted can push that way further into way different contexts than an indie game could. 100%. And then obviously indies play Uncharted and they go like, oh, that from Uncharted is really cool. So the way it works is indies make leaps, right? Mm -hmm. And then AAA incrementally, incrementally, like very small increments, adjusts along. But then it's always AAA that makes the big, big breakthroughs. Almost always.
Mm. Right. It's always the bigger games, the the bigger budgets. You know, you have things like PUBG, and it's an indie game, but it, you know, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. But if you if you ask where it comes from, it comes from a mod of yeah. a game that was funded by the American Army. Yeah. Right. From an individual person as well. So it wasn't right. a team, it wasn't a right. But it yeah. comes from something with big money, and then somebody small makes like a thing, and then everybody else jumped on it, and then it was Fortnite. Mm. Right. And a Fortnite sort of coalesces it into the history of gaming. PUBG will, will be an issue. Where's the line between cloning on that, though? Right. Because, so, like, I remember that was a little bit of, oh, you, you took a lot of elements. Cause I remember Fortnite, they were under the world. So they yeah. weren't even in a similar, for people who might not know, right. weren't doing a battle royale. They saw PUBG's success and they, yeah. they adopted it. Right. Right. Yeah. You, I think you dealt, you dealt with this in the past as well with yeah. Lamir when you guys were releasing your early games. And now there's still literally. Right. Wordle is getting a lot of copies now. Yep. Unpacking, which was a popular indie game, is getting a lot of clones. So sad. Where's the line there? For me, it's the line between inspiration and imitation. Mm. And that's that's soft, but the reality is that this has to be a soft line. It has you to be. You know when you when, see it. When I got cloned, one of the discussions I ended up having a lot is like, shouldn't there be copyright for game mechanics? Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I suddenly went like, what if Nintendo had copyrighted Jump? platformers could be dead entire genres would have been obliterated instantly right i was like this should never happen we should never reach a point where that line is so defined that somebody can abuse it right Mm -hmm. so to me it's um if you play a game you go like this is incredible i'm gonna take this part and i'm gonna see if it fits in my game see if it fits in the puzzle that's inspiration. I'm okay with that. But if you open the one game on your one screen and you have your code for the other game on your other screen and you're just replicating, yeah, that's too far for me. And that's what you're seeing what I'm packing right now. Right. And it's sad yeah. because these games literally look like they are unpacking. Yeah. They're taking the visual it's- style, they're taking everything. How do they clone it so quickly? Do they take the base code and like rewrite it? Like, I don't get how it would take the, the developer so long to make it themselves. But then these clones can come out. So here, the- I, I know your answer for that one. Remember when I asked you to choose between where the right trigger goes? Yeah. Right. All right. Well, what's your answer? Right trigger. Oh, yeah, wait, well, wait, so wait, the right wait. trigger. Do we do shooting or driving? Oh, I, I'm going to do driving and I'm going to do shooting with R B. Shoot with RB. So you're going to use both those fingers. Yeah, both of those. So fingers. if you want to shoot and you're you're going to yeah. drive and then okay. you click. Yeah. All right. So uh, your shooting has to be binary. Either you're shooting or you're not shooting. You can't yeah. like tap the, you can't yeah. tap. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's how you do it. Right. So you will go and test this. So you would make it, you would test it. You would play with some players. You would see if it comes back and then you go, okay, maybe RB might not be the right button. Let's try A real quick. You know, just to have mm-hmm. an alternative. Just, so yeah. now you're four or five weeks in, right? And you've decided that button. If I wanted to clone that, how much time would it take me? Zero seconds. I look at what you did. How can I? How can I reverse engineer what you did? What by because just, I can just by play just the game. at it? Yeah. Uh, right trigger is drive. A is shoot. Done. The designs in the game. It. That's it. The biggest part of game development is testing. Mm. It's trying things out and testing. We don't know what we're doing, mate. Like people think that we know what we're doing. Game developers don't know what we're doing. A lot we of guys. We got very good. At not knowing what we're doing. That's what a game developer really is. A game developer is somebody who sits down and you take God of War and you go, what if the camera never moves away? 
What if there's no cutscene that isn't starting from the game? What if it always is there? What if this game is that intimate, right? What an incredible mechanic, I just want to say quickly. Incredible. Incredible delivery. Incredibly well executed. Incredible. But after they did that, it was so much easier for everybody else to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think because everybody else like another game do it. Of course, like right because now we can just look at God of War and be like, oh, okay, so here's here's kind of what they're looking for. Here's how they do it. And that idea of like, okay, so when you, you know, the camera zooms in and out. between the rocks and you're viewing. That you steal things, right? Yeah. You, you take that and you take like, okay, this works, that works, that works. So when you spend three, six weeks testing out where that shoot button goes, where that drive button goes, all I have to do is boot up your game and look at your controller mapping. And I'm mm. done. Don't have to test it. I already know it works. Right? Already knows so for unpacking, yeah. that mechanic of putting stuff away, nobody had ever done that before. So that must have taken months and months and months of figuring out, like, where is the fun? Is it fun? Yeah. Right? And then if it's fun, how complex can it be? Is it fun if you can place anything anywhere you want? Or do we need to lock certain items to specific places? Right? You gave if me you have to design example. that, it takes months. If you need to copy it, Six seconds. If you need to bake a cake from scratch and you don't have a recipe, it's a lot more difficult than if someone hands you the recipe and says, "This is how you bake this cake." That's exactly it. If you have if you have the cake in front of you, and you're like, "Okay, it needs to be like this," that's already a lot easier. That, even without sense. the recipe, even yeah. without the recipe, it's a lot easier to look at a food and be like, "Okay, so this is pasta," and then just have a bite, and it's like tomato. Uh, might be I don't know uh, some unsure, something salty. You're going to get it close enough, though. It's not going to be... It's not going to be perfect. It. And that's exactly what a clone is. That's hilarious. That's exactly what a clone is. You nailed that's it. too funny. And that's a little bit um, deeply disappointing because I think it it creates a saturation to the market, um, which actually touched on one of the Twitter conversations today, um, which was, <laughs> you know, people talking about, hey, there should be less indie game devs right. um, and there's too many games. I mean, right. I... I get that from 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 even like a writer's perspective to be like there's too many books out there, but no one right. ever says don't write, right? right? And just understand that you're right. your chance of being a famous writer might not right. be it. Yeah, I think that's the important part because I, I was part of that discussion partially because uh, Jeff, who wrote this, I think uh, he's right. There's too many indie games, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't make indie games. You should understand. That to make money with a game is really hard in this market because there's so many indie games. Does that mean that we have enough games? No, we have never enough. We never have enough games. Please make games. But I understand how much time, how much money, how much effort it costs to make a game. And I also don't feel comfortable saying like, oh, no, there need to be more games. Go make games. Don't doesn't matter. Go make games. Hopefully it'll work out, right? As a Muslim, inshallah, it'll work out. Inshallah. And but it, it, the, you can't tell that to people. You can't go to people and be like, well, you know, you might be broken a year, but hey, you should really, you should really make that game. Just don't think yeah. about it. Make art, you know, like, yeah. Can't, I can't art say is that. commercial. Proper art right. is commercial, you know. Art, art can be many things, but what is important, what is important in what he said in the first tweet only, because he goes into like, you shouldn't make games, which I fully disagree with, right? Fully. But you need to understand that if you're going to make games, that you don't stand a chance. Yeah. That you just don't stand a chance. That your competitors are people that have been making games for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. 
that they have connections with Valve, that they have connections with Xbox or PlayStation, with the press, that they know people at IGN, that they know Twitch streamers that are popular, that they know people on YouTube, that they get interviewed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that people listen to that to learn. Yeah. Right? And that's what you're competing with. That's if you media org, I know that feeling. <laughs> if you accept that and you understand the risk and you understand the opportunity, then please make games. Please. Please make games. We need more games. We always need more games. We need more games of every genre. We need more experiments in every genre. We need more indies with fresh attitudes in every genre. We need more people who don't care whether the game is successful or not in every genre. But I don't want them to hurt themselves doing it. But I don't do want them to get a mortgage to make their game. And then it'll be $100,000 a debt. Right. But this is where we now deal with, you know, I know you are a huge uh, proponent of diversity and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. And as, as someone who, who's of South Asian descent myself, I see that the diversity in the industry is, is at a minimal version, right? And I don't yeah. want to sit here and say, wow, inherent diversity is just still like what we're saying. It's become so saturated on the indie front for new people who don't have connections to come in. And so consolidated on the larger front that if you don't have established connections, it'll be hard to get into. Yep. Where is the opportunity for diversity inclusion to open has, the door? It has to be made. It has to be intentional. Somebody has to do it. I mean, it's part of what I've been doing for the past 10 years is trying to go to these places, meet the developers, wherever they are, whether they're in South America, whether they're in Africa, whether they're in South Asia, West Asia, whether they're in, in, in the Pacific Islands. Uh, I don't care, East Europe, you know, wherever wherever they are, I think everybody should have access to those connections. Everybody should have access to the press. Everybody should have access to the engines. Everybody should have access to the platforms. I'm just one person. I can't solve that alone. But I think what you're seeing is every time one of these communities, a city in Brazil, uh, you know, like a, a, a place in, in Pakistan or in um, in um, um, South Africa or in Namibia or wherever, right? Mm -hmm. When momentum starts, you can't stop it. Yeah. When it starts going, when somebody makes a hit, they bring in some money, United States dollars, which are relatively valuable, right? Yeah. If you take $1 in the US, you can barely buy a sandwich with it, yeah. right? But if you go to like, many of the countries around the world, that's actually a pretty decent amount of money. If you can make small games that make $10,000, $20,000, $30,000, you can actually make bigger games with that. That's what happened to CD Projekt Red. Yeah. Polish developer, they made The Witcher. It wasn't a hit, but they weren't expensive. So they can make The Witcher 2, which was better. And then they did a little better. And then they made The Witcher 3 and they made a lot of money, even by US standards, even by Western standards. They blew the lid off of like any budget that you could have imagined. And they made an incredible game. And, you know, then we will we'll stop the story there. But um, that company to come from that story, I wonder what happened to them. Yeah, this is very odd. We haven't really, we haven't really released a game for like almost a decade. Yeah. Like this is great. I'm, I'm hoping yeah. that they actually get around to developing one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, but um, um, such a sad story that game. But the the um, the thing I'm getting at is that the only way to do that is if the industry wants to because they have to make those connections. Yeah. And it's a long fight, it's a long fight. It's an exhausting fight. I've been fighting this fight for 10 years and with me, so many people, but it's happening. And it's it's you happening know, the, slowly. 
it's always like, hey, it's like our chicken and egg problem, right? Which is, mm -hmm. hey, it has to be incentivized financially. And if we don't see the money there, therefore, why should we? And it's like, you're missing the point that if you did, you would see it on the back end in the, terms of what grows out of it. The, the way I always explain to people why this is important is games are a fingerprint. They're made by people and people put their fingerprint on it, whether they want it or not. So I tell you, think of a war game. Think of a war game. Okay. Which war game did you think of? I, I thought of Command and Conquer Generals. <laughs> Command so and Conquer Generals, right? Yeah. Which is a game about uh, winning wars. Yeah. Right? Okay. Uh, Call of Duty. Game about winning wars. Battlefield. Game about winning wars. Right? What do those games have in common? Shooting. Made game. in the Did United States. Okay. Made in the Western world, right? Okay. They're yeah. all about shooting or winning. Uh, Command and Conquer might be UK, but they kind of have the same attitude to war as the US. Does, the right? It's about winning war. Yeah. Do you know any German war games? You know, Germany doesn't try to make anything war related. They made one. But no. Spec Ops The Line. Spec Ops The Line is a war game by Jagex from Germany. It's about Ooh. shame. It's about trauma. So when the Germans make a war game, their fingerprint makes one of the most interesting war games in what? Two decades of war games? 100%. What do you think when the Polish make a war game? What do you think happens? I talks about the tragedy being in the middle of it. So they make this war of mine. Polish game. Interesting. Game about being a survivor in a war that just happens around you. You don't get to influence that war. The war comes to you and wrecks your country. Because that's what happened to Poland. Yep, right. Hundred percent. I always think about how the the World War II experience affected Japan and it and its output following those generations. And those games from Japan are still about the big monster. Yeah. Right. About the thing that will wipe out everything. Right. The nuclear bomb. Exactly. Right? So games are made by people by fingerprints. Yeah. And every time we get another country. To add to that, we get completely new games, completely new perspectives, completely new worlds. Spec Ops wouldn't exist made by an American. It can't because it's a different viewpoint. Not because Americans that? are failing at something, not because they're bad at something, but because we've seen that story over and over. And that story has become commodified. Yes. In its form. And they were going to repeat it in that commodified form until it's not able to be until then the next thing comes in. Right. That's why it's important. That's why diversity is important. Because when a woman makes a game with a certain perspective on certain things, they'll make a different game than a man. When a black man makes a game, it'll be different than a white man. When uh, somebody who is gay makes a game, it'll be different than somebody who is straight. When somebody who is disabled, it will be different than an able-bodied person. When it is a Muslim, it will be different than an atheist. When it's an Arab, it'll be different than a, a Dutch person, right? Absolutely. But and I want you all those games. But how do you find like what we just talked about was like the West uh, and and Japan, which we even talked about from the beginning, are the sort of two central portions of game development. Mm -hmm. Which of those ideas are coming out of different places that you feel are sort of catching a little wind, right? Where you're like, okay, these right. are. But that'd be I mean, the biggest so thing because it's moving and it's evolving, right? So even something right. like Twitch, a lot of the top Twitch streamers are not U.S. based, so like movies right. even now. Korean right. film, dramas, that subtitle mm -hmm. concept has come over. 
You've right. been here long enough. What are you feeling about that internationalization? The same way I, Hollywood sort of flipped overnight, right? For some reason, it, I, I think it's happening in games. It, it it's taking longer because AAA game development is dependent on a lot of things. It's very expensive, and to be competitive, you kind of need the government to be behind it. Some of the best AAA places in the world are places like Montreal in Canada, where there's like a huge tax credit to get all these big companies to go there, the UK, uh, you know, or places where just there already is. I know a lot Netherlands of and a lot of Western Europe does as a small right. Western European country. That's the Nordic Sweden do that. Yeah, Sweden does yeah. it really well as well. Yeah. Um, so there needs to be support, right? There needs to be support, and that's really hard to do in countries that are you know relatively poor or unstable. So mm. that's harder. In India, though, look at places like South Africa was nowhere and then it just exploded onto the scene with incredible games from kind of everywhere uh, yeah. throughout South Africa. But Indonesia, lots of Indian games from Indonesia, games like Coffee Talk are there, for example, the Toge Productions is based there. Uh, more and more games come from the region and because some of the studios are successful, they can help seed these other studios with knowledge, with funding, they can create brands, they can talk to the government, lobby to get some support and show to the government that if you invest a hundred dollars into the games industry, well, we'll make you a thousand dollars. Percent, which I and bring I that into the odd country. because of the amount of outsourcing that goes to all of these countries right. in the technology and development. Is, yep. But yep. they don't necessarily they go to specific like it's almost like right. manufacturing. They just want the automated base level, right? And then anything more sophisticated, they say send it back and, to us and we'll put it together. Right. And then the interesting thing about that is, for example, I worked in India seven years ago when India was sort of switching from being an outsourcing country because they got so good at their job that they started getting a bit more expensive. Yeah. That ended up being a problem because they had incredible programmers, incredible artists, incredible sound engineers, very few designers. Because the designer would usually be from a company abroad, would be some French guy that would tell them what the game was going to be. So a big challenge in India was getting the designers trained to be good well, enough to compete the with the Western games because they already had everything else, right? So each community is its own puzzle. Absolutely. But each community, as soon as it gets momentum, as soon as it gets that money, as soon as it gets resources, as soon as it gets connections, it rolls and you can't stop that train. It keeps rolling. It keeps growing. So I'm very hopeful. I'm seeing around the world in, in uh, you know, in Latin America in Central America and uh, Africa, both North and South Africa, a little bit in Central Africa, uh, Southwest Asia, West Asia, South Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, the Pacific Islands, everywhere. Yeah. Eastern Europe, Central Europe. It's, it's happening. Like games are, now all that needs to happen is the world needs to give those games a chance and they're not going to give every game a chance because like with any game made in the west the chances of your game getting noticed approximately zero but if there can be enough games from those places something will hit right absolutely and it'll be it'll be the next big thing i i couldn't agree more and i, I do think the next big thing in gaming will not be a us-based concept i think that we've sort of moved past that and and i only say that as as a fan of gaming myself who's sort of seen we a diminishing innovation, right? It's, or something that feels right. Yeah. Like, because it's the same perspective. And yeah. the only way to grow that is fresh perspective, which is why yeah. that discussion about diversity is such a big conversation in games. We need yeah. perspective. We need people. We need people that are different making these games, making these decisions, yeah. uh, making these choices, because that's how you get different new stuff. Yeah. And then everybody else can copy it. 
which is great. Right. And then we okay. build on I mean, it. If they know at the end, they'll still be incentivized because they can copy it and bring it back. But it's still in their own interest, in the mm-hmm. industry's interest to expand its pool and base. And I think, you know, that's the reason of exactly. that definition of a gamer question, because it's, you know, if we keep going to these specific models of if you pick up your phone and you play again, of course, you have to be a gamer because if they release something else, you'll want to try it. Right. Yep. And so. Yep. I guess uh, now, you know, I'll just do one or two more questions because okay, I, you know, I know you're go. about to be getting to sleep. So I don't want to be spending too much of your time. Um, now, I know a lot of people said, what are the biggest trends you saw uh, in, mm-hmm. in mobile gaming, et cetera? But I guess my question would be more specifically, uh, do you see mobile gaming or becoming more socially oriented in what they'll be doing in terms of co-ops i can imagine co-ops are a bit mm-hmm. easier to implement on mobile and that mm-hmm. social experience do you think we'll start separating the experience of what type of games we get on mobile versus console or do you think that sort of genshin impact concept which i saw you answer in another question the cross-platform concepts of hey you can play on mobile pick it up on your will be continuing and sort of consolidating further or do you think there'll be a separation of the type of games I think I think you'll see further consolidation, but also stronger differences. So it's kind of a weird one. I think what you'll see is as people make games, they're more aware of the opportunity of mobile. If you compare uh, a PUBG on PC versus PUBG on mobile, I think PUBG on mobile made a lot more money. PUBG, and PUBG mobile on in PC. India and Pakistan right. in in the international community is gigantic. It's, it's enormous. It's it's like Fortnite bonkers. doesn't exist internationally for people right. who might not know. Yeah. It's it's a lot more focused. Yeah, it's a lot more focused Fortnite. But uh, when you look at PUBG and you compare the PC version, which we think of as a monster hit, you compare it to the mobile version. The mobile version like is is enormous compared to PC in terms of revenue, right? So I think a lot of companies have seen the opportunity of mobile. They've seen it with Fortnite. They've seen it with PUBG. They've seen it with Call of Duty. Um, having your game on multiple platforms helps, yeah. right? So that consolidates because as people are designing these games, they're thinking about how can we make the port as easy as possible? How can we make sure that as much of this experience also works on mobile? So the the industry term for it is surfaces, right? You've got your TV surface, which is your console surface. You've got your desktop surface. You've got your mobile surface. You might have a streaming surface. You know, you you have these different surfaces that you might be playing your game on tablet, mobile, PC, uh, console, um, uh, Steam Deck soon, right? Um, and as we design, we try to keep in mind that we're going to hit these other surfaces. So if you're designing a game and it needs to work on PC only, you're only thinking about two, two input methods. Yeah. Keyboard controller. Cause some people play with controller. Now, if you include that controller support, you already got console. Yeah. Right. So that's good. Let's say, okay. Keyboard and mouse, uh, and, and controller. So now we're hitting some of those surfaces. But now you also have to do mobile. Now you suddenly think, okay, how much of this would work on a touchscreen? Yeah. Right. And now you're redesigning some of your controls to also work on a touchscreen. Right. So that consolidates. It limits the potential for creativity. Yeah. On the flip side, it also means that a lot of games on mobile are going to be available on all those platforms. And usually the games that do super well on mobile are games that are unique to mobile, that really use that phone, that you really use the opportunity of that phone. Yeah. And I think as the, the, the AAA sort of influence on mobile consolidates into basically being mobile versions of big AAA games, yeah. that there'll be more space for creative work. Right. Hopefully. Absolutely. 
Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, all, all of this opens up the end of like, you know, the, the trickle down version of, you know, as we said, the innovation at the bottom can trickle up top and then the money from the top can trickle up bottom. There's a middle point where it can meet. And that's where you usually get the best. Like you said, uh, I think the so. object rotation, et cetera. Right. But you know, it's a, it's, it's a very curious time during the industry. I know we didn't get too much <laughs> time to talk about the Activision uh, Blizzard Ugh, buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I'm, I, I'm partially terrified of it. Honestly, yeah. I'm, I, I, I love, I love Microsoft as they are right now. Right. Yeah. I thought They're they great. were creating a perfect tertiary company in, in right. the space and sort of regaining their foothold that they had with the 360 era. Right. And they are, and but then I remember they were. That after now the, they're just now they're Tencent, now they're Western right. Tencent, realistically. Right. I just remember that after the 360 came the Xbox One. Yeah. Right. And it was uh, Don Matrick, and he was doing awful stuff. Right. And I'm just thinking, if Microsoft soon owns like what Activision Blizzard, and Phil leaves, right? Does Activision survive? Does Blizzard survive? Does Diablo survive? Do they can Diablo, right? You know, is that not the right brand for not this Halo? Microsoft? But because they could. Why, it doesn't doesn't that put a cap on the success Halo needs if you suddenly bring in Call of Duty and everybody right. else? Like you right. don't need any so, of these guys. That's kind of the thing, right? Like we don't know what this does. What I do know is, I love when there's room for creativity in games, and with this whole switch to subscription, which is probably the biggest trend in games. You asked about that earlier. I think subscription. Uh, is after Twitch is going to be the most influential thing uh, in games at the moment, is people aren't making games anymore to sell them. People are making games to sell them to Xbox, to sell them to Game Pass, to sell them to ID at Xbox, to sell them to App Arcade, to sell them to Epic, yeah. right? Because that's how we make sure we make money. If I'm making, if I'm spending half a million dollars on making a game and a lot of indie games are half a million dollars, if Microsoft comes to me and they say like, hey, you know what? We'll pay two hundred. We'll guarantee you two hundred fifty thousand dollars revenue or something, right? We'll we'll it's pay guaranteed money for people who, right. who would need we'll, it. Yeah, we'll pay you half of your development budget to get the game out, launching on Xbox, uh, Game Pass for free or or for a certain amount of time, or Apple funds development for a game for Apple Arcade or Epic buys exclusivity. If you give me half of my budget, for sure, I'm gonna take that deal. Hundred percent. Of course, I'm going to take that. I mean, but that also like means we... that if I'm designing a game, that I'm designing it with in mind, like, oh, I want to sell this to Microsoft. It's like what a technology like? when companies built to get acquired, right? We, mm -hmm. We've entered a cynical version of it. So do you right. think, like, yes, do you think that would, I guess, so? because I know what you're saying, was it, there does create that version of we're just selling directly to, and again, it's a it's an innovation issue, but like, does that consolidation mean that we'll end up seeing? I'm trying to figure out how to word my my question here because it, you bring up a great point in subscription models mm. that every it's just a, an IP race, right? Do you think that Xbox will end up sitting on this and saying like, I know the second they bought Activision Blizzard, I was like, obviously they're going to honor the contracts that already exist. Right. But like they did with Bethesda, the next games after those contracts, they're not putting out on PlayStation. It's obvious. Probably no one not. needs to tell me. Probably not. Like if, yeah. And Phil Spencer, like you said, he could be benevolent, but I don't want to create a drone program and hand it to the next person who might not be right. the person you yeah. want. Yeah. Um, and those sort of systems of are called right. the slippery slope model, which is yeah. if that guy like Don comes up and takes over Xbox, are we going to kill one of the most storied right. you know, right. gaming developers of all time? 
potentially. Potentially. But that's the other but, the other part of it is like as as these models grow where developers are dependent on these big companies to fund their games, they start making those games for those companies. The same way we started making roguelikes and multiplayer games because of Twitch. Yeah. Right. Game development will always adjust to its context because it is incredibly risky. You're spending a half a million dollars. Some of my games, small indie games, half a million dollar budget, right? Yeah. So when I start selling that game at $10, I need to sell 50,000 copies to get back to the start. Yeah. That's and that's a lot of copies. $10 on mobile. Right. So yeah. if you're making half a million dollar game and you're doing it on mobile for $2, you see that that's 250,000 units you need to sell before we can start talking about making your next game. So if some of these companies come along and say, like, okay, well, we'll pay you $100,000. Of course, you're going to take it. But that also means that when you start working on your next game, you're going to go in and go, okay, remember that boardroom at Platform X that gave us money? Yeah. What type of games were they looking for again? What, what do they want? Yeah. And that scares me. That's the part that's scary to me. Because I don't want that world. I want a world where people make games that fit the market. And I know that's that's nonsense because we're already making what the market wants. We're already making what Twitch wants. We're already making... I just don't want another checkbox on that. But it's just different when there when there's five options. It's still different when there's two options. It just it, it it's still an exponential exactly. effect on what is exactly. allowed. And everything and, and, that the Spears is bad. You're absolutely right. Consolidation is just not good in any industry. We've been seeing it in tech right where now any game developer that comes up with something interesting they might get snapchatted by right. by xbox right and that's not yeah. the same as being inspired by that's yeah. saying hey i like your model i'm going to do it too right which creates or, a maybe a more competitive a more uh a, a more maliciously competitive gaming industry whereas right. right now i don't think it's ever been like that i think it's right. just been business it's, it's been good. It's been bad, but it's never been to the point where I worry about what the future holds. And I'm a little worried now. Like I, I like I said, I love Microsoft. I love I love the things that they're doing. I Phil is great. Chris Charla is great. Like the entire team over there, they care so much and they love games so much. But I also know just that they're gonna leave. Yeah. What am I gonna do? Like then go like, oh no, please don't, please don't destroy Activision Blizzard. Yeah. Like, we own please, it. Please, sir. Please, sir. One more Diablo. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, exactly. ah, we could have done this by just separating the two. Right. I don't um, know. And then and then the indie part is the other part that terrifies me because I don't want every indie to make a game where they go like, oh, can we sell this to idea Xbox? Like I just don't want that world. I get the same thing that you've gotten music, which is a flattening of experience because everything needs to fit into the mold that will be particular Every, type of commercial everybody needs to make a thing that works on spotify so make that dynamic video and add those lyrics because and remember you know, 20 important. 20 songs because you got to get the streaming numbers and you gotta quality numbers. really doesn't matter yep. get one YouTube video song. youtube video needs to be 10 minutes mate even if it's and not get on instagram and act like an idiot and it's like that's wait a second all, that's all the things you need that's every, and yeah. that's suddenly everybody is that right that's in their own way but everybody has to be that because that works that, and that's the problem where everyone right. can have a little bit of space, but has to be this. And I, yeah. and I found that in gaming media to be the case. I mm -hmm. found in gaming content creators to be the case where you see yeah. a lot of these content yeah. creators be like, I hate having to play this game every day, but if I go to variety streaming, they won't love me anymore. And I think you'll see yeah. the same with developers. If yeah. you only have Twitch to go yeah. to, you only yeah. have this. So I don't and like Facebook, it. but at least it did Facebook gaming. Right. Right. Well, that's, but that's the thing, right? Like, 
And then Facebook is its own problem because there's no competitor for Facebook. So in that space, they're everything. And it's the, the world is in a pretty messy state when it comes to business at the moment. It, it, it is. It really is. I, uh, consolidation has never been good. And I think we just let all of the medium companies like we let the middle of America sort of just disappear. And I don't think we realize how fundamentally important that was for both sides. Like an ecosystem, yeah. you need balance. Yeah. If we cut the balance out, negative side effects that we aren't anticipating are going to right. occur very rapidly and out of uh, size as well. But I'm going to ask you one more question. I know I know you're about to get tired. So this is a, a classic one uh, that okay. we ask every guest. Okay, um, cool. What is one book, story, movie, comic, or any form of fiction that you personally would have would love to see made into a video game? So your favorite Ooh. piece of fiction, etc. Like you're like, I want a video game. So in past ones we've had uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie the cartoon. Uh, <laughs> We've had oh man, I gotta I gotta remember a couple of these. Um we had we had a a civics uh simulator that was the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, but that was sort mm. of obvious. Mm-hmm. Um the creative director of Coldwood Studios, the maker of Unravel, uh mm-hmm. Martin Celine, he picked Berserk, the okay. anime. Is the one to see? Yeah. Oh wait, no, that was yeah. him. He he picked that was a uh, juice. So we have right. a couple of answers, but what right. what uh what are you thinking? What what should be a video game? There is there is a book by a name guy named Carl Schroeder called Ventus, and it is a fantasy sci-fi world that is built around ideas of sentience and AI. And I think I want a very familiar, cozy game in that world, not like a not like something revolutionary. I want like a Final Fantasy-esque big game world game in that world because it's just a fascinating world. Uh, I read that book like once every two years or three years or something. Because um, it starts as a fantasy book and then suddenly spaceships start arriving. And you're like, what? Huh? Uh, and I just I want that moment in a video game where you're like you're you you know you're upgrading your sword and then just a spaceship arrives and you're like, what? Eh, it doesn't look like it fits in this what? aesthetic. Uh, this is a little. This is uh, what is happening. I, I, um, I, that that sounds really cool. I've never seen that really happen in a game. I don't think I've ever seen that either. Final Fantasy you might have found of, some inspiration for your next game. Right. Final Fantasy always walks that really cool boundary between like medieval and sort of like future tech. But never yeah. that big of a difference. Steampunk. It's like when you see the Blade Runner stuff and I see right. like the massive industrial like leftover stuff. And I'm like, why right. would they do that in a futuristic technology world? And now right. when I see that certain analog things work better than digital, I'm like, oh, that's why that that's still why. works like yeah, that. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, oh, now I get it. I'm, I'm becoming a pilot and like the little airplane that I fly is a Cessna 172. And the one I fly is from like the 70s. And it's all like old like old gear and you ask them why and they're like well because this thing has kept people alive for 45 years this is the best we've constructed i cannot argue with that logic is this thing works it works well and if it doesn't work people die so the fact that it still works means that it's the best option we get (laughs) if it's not broken don't fix it they're like it it, it works 99 percent of the time you don't want to like take a risk with that i'm like you know what let's Keep alive yeah, that for now. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep the hundred percent of the time. This any airplane that you can fly has not crashed. As someone who's afraid no. of flying, as long as it does not crash, 
right. Jalen. I'm at, at the happy ending. I'm like, <laughs> it flies, it lands, we're good. Doesn't matter. Yep, we're good. We're I don't good. want to answer <laughs> your question, but my uh, my instructor always says taking off is optional, but landing is is required. Then, uh, he's not wrong. They have exactly. a lot of sayings like that. It's been really oh. fun to learn how to fly. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Um, but uh, that that would that that would be all I got. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. I had a, a really nice chat. That was super awesome. This would, is fun. Uh, loved, would love to have you back on the show sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, just sort of casually talk, you know, as these sort of things happen in the industry. Um, yeah, I appreciate I'd it. Love I, that. I, I'm, Thank I'm you like so much for developers. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm an arm's length away from the whole industry and all the knowledge and the people. So mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, it's really cool to have someone who has been in a very sort of functional vital right. part of help setting it up to be like, Hey, you're not always wrong. I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm getting somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the beauty of this industry. I think like what is right now is not going to be right in two years. Right. Yeah. So Absolutely. let's talk again sometime in the future and see how much we still agree on. Absolutely. I'm going to get a list of all of our bets and guesses and we'll come back around and be like, so that sounds okay. awesome. That sounds right. awesome. Let's do that. Thanks Absolutely. for having me. I look forward to it. Thank you again, Rami. Have a great night. Bye-bye.